Hi everyone, this is Ilana from South Africa, a country that has been in complete lockdown for almost three weeks and we have another two and a half weeks to go so far, uh, taking us to the end of April. So that's been sort of interesting, um, but not as interesting as our chapter. So let's take a look at chapter five of the book of Yechezkel, book of Ezekiel. As Rabbi Joe mentioned yesterday, the first three chapters are generally one opening prophecy of uh, Yechezkel. And towards the end of chapter three to our chapter five, we're introduced to one of the book's major themes, and that is of God commanding the prophet to do some sort of action, which then has some kind of symbolism attached to it, which sometimes God explains, sometimes God doesn't. And while many prophets do use metaphors or parables, Yechezkel seems to have more than most. So one of the questions that we see asked a lot in this book uh, by commentators is, does Yechezkel actually have to do these things? Are they things that actually took place or are they just a metaphor? And the commentators are very divided about this. Dr. Tova Gunzel, in her excellent uh, series of Shirim on the book of Yechezkel on the virtual Beit Midrash, uh, says as follows. She says, in many of Yechezkel's prophecies, it is difficult to distinguish between actual action and prophetic vision. The line between God's message to the prophet and the concrete reality that accompanies it is deliberately blurred. In our chapter, though, um, the act has uh, its symbolism explained by God, and it's not good news. Here, the prophet must shave his hair and beard, uh, scattering and burning the hair, so destroying it by fire, sword, and wind. And this is the first time, actually, in the book that the prophet actually now needs to talk to the people. As it says in the beginning of verse 5, uh, thus says the Lord. As we know, that is how the prophet now begins to speak to the people. They need to hear what he has to say. So let's take a look at what God's message in is. And there's a couple of themes that now also um, begin to occur in this chapter that we're going to try and unpack. So in verse 5, it says, Ko amar Adonai Elohim zot Yerushalayim betocha goyim samtia usfibotea aratzot. Thus says the Lord God, I set this Jerusalem in the midst of nations with countries round about her. Um, next verse says, Vatemer et mishpatai lerisha mina goyim veet chukotai mina aratzot asher svibotea ki bemishpatai maasu vechukotai lo halchu bahem. But she rebelled against my rules and my laws, acting more wickedly than the nations and the countries round about her. She rejected my rules and disobeyed my laws. And verses 7 and 8 continue this. Assuredly, thus says the Lord God, because you have outdone the nations that are round about you, you have not obeyed my laws or followed my rules, nor have you observed the rules of the nations around you. Assuredly, thus says the Lord God, I in turn am going to deal with you and I will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nation. So what you'll notice is that the word goyim, nation, is repeated in each verse as well as arzot in three of the four verses. And so there's a couple of messages that um, seem to be here that God seems to be saying. On the one hand, firstly, what we're seeing is the people vis-a-vis -vis the nations of the world, Jerusalem vis-a-vis -vis the other capitals of the world. Um, and God seems to be saying, you've outdone the nations. You, you've done 
worse than any of them. Why? Because you should know better. You've built corrupt societies. You've, you've prayed to idols. You've brought idols into the temple. That's worse than anything because at least the other nations stick to their gods in their temples. You've done this mix and match syncretism where you bring other gods or, or false gods into um, my space. And so there's this um, understanding of attempting to get the people to see themselves in relation to the nations and they don't come out looking at all good. But there's a second point underneath this, and this is where God seems to be saying, you think I won't destroy my temple or my land because this will be seen by the nations as a weakness on my part, as it were. In other words, God's inability to defend God's temple uh, would be a desecration of God's name, a chilul Hashem. And the people of Israel are so convinced that God will never do this. Um, despite, no matter how bad they are, God will never destroy uh, Jerusalem because of this. And they have historical precedent. Uh, Moshe's plea to God after the sin of the golden calf to say nothing of the defeat of Sanherib, Sennacherib, 150 years ago or thereabouts, where despite the fact that they might not measure up, God saves the people. And God says here now, you're wrong. I will destroy Jerusalem despite the desecration of my name. And I think it's also interesting that these terms are used here because the primary audience, or certainly the first audience, of Yechezkel would be the people in Babylon, uh, the people who have already been exiled to Babylon. And as a diaspora Jew, and those who live in the diaspora, I think, will, will understand this, uh, we are always very aware of what we look like in relation to the nations around us. We're very aware that we live amongst the nations. And what do we look like? If we do something good, it is a kiddush Hashem. If we do something bad, it is a chilul Hashem. And so I think, I think that's an interesting point in terms of audience uh, here and the words used by Yechezkel. But let's get back to why would God be so okay with a chilul Hashem? And in fact, from this point on in the chapter, the words are so dark. God says, I will have no pity or mercy on you. This chapter could be said to be one of the direst prophecies in the entire Tanakh. In fact, there's a verse here that's worse, if that's possible, than the, the, all the curses in the books of Vayikra and Devarim. I won't go into it. You can read it yourselves, and presumably will. Um, and I think you will also be shocked at at the darkness, the level of um, unpity that is coming through in these verses. But what I do want to point out, though, is through the rest of the, the chapter, we have some light words, some recurring words and phrases that we'll see more across the book of Yechezkel. So just to keep an eye open for them, let's, let's see a couple of them here. In verse 9, God says, Va'asiti bach Et asher lo asiti ve'et asher lo ase kabohu od yaan kol to avotaich. And on account of all your abominations, I will do amongst you what I have never done, and the like of which I will never do again. The word to eva, abomination, is a general term used in across the Tanakh for anything that is hateful, disgusting, worthy, worthy of condemnation. So it's a catch-all phrase, and. Um, a fun fact, 
or not so much fun, depending on if you like word games. It is used 117 times in the Bible, 45 of which is in the book of Yechezkel. So that's going to tell you something about this particular word and what it, uh, the depth of its meaning that Yechezkel is using here. Uh, look again in verse 11 where it comes up again. God says, because you defiled my sanctuary, and now he says, with all your detestable things and all your abominations, I will shear you away. I will cut you away and I will show no pity. And the term here added to toeva is shikutsim, shekets, which is also a detestable thing, which we've seen in the book of Ayikra, usually dealing with animals you can't eat. In Yechezkel, the, the root of this word, shekets, appears eight times in reference to idolatry. And so what we could sum up here is what is God saying? Why is God prepared to go against his very own name? Is he saying you have perpetrated the most despicable actions, a mixture of the worst transgressions possible, bringing it all the way into the temple. And so one could say in a horrific measure for measure that the ferocity of the divine response corresponds to the foulness of the deeds perpetrated by the nation. But unlike this chapter, I don't want to end on such a harsh note. So let us return to the actions that Yechezkel had to do with the hair he shaved off. As we remember, it was divided into three and destroyed in three different ways. But then Yechezkel is told to leave a small amount of hair wrapped up in the ends of his garment. And this isn't explained by God. And the various commentators argue as to its symbolism. But let's finish with Radak's commentary where he says that this symbolizes those who were exiled to Babylon, which is why it says, tie them up in your skirts, where they would remain protected until they return to their land, like something that is bound up in the skirt of a garment. And perhaps this very slight degree of mercy shown to the exiles, that the exiles, unlike those who remain in the land, will survive and be protected and ultimately be able to return to the land at a not, in a not too distant future.